Hi, Jim Kosho here from Dunn Lumber. Welcome to today's Dunn Solutions Podcast. We're dedicated to giving our customers access not only to the highest quality materials, but also to cutting edge industry knowledge. Today, we'll hear from Paul Mackey with the Western Red Cedar Lumber Association. In this podcast, Paul covers extractive bleeding and the advantages of using stainless steel fasteners, the urban myth about unprimed cedar siding reacting with house wrap products, and the real green story behind Western Red Cedar Lumber. If you have a question for Paul or would like more information about Western Red Cedar Lumber, please visit realcedar.com and then go to the Contact Us page to reach Paul. And to attend a future product information breakfast, please email me at jimc at Paul Mackey, and I'm with the Western Red Cedar Lumber Association. Uh, I am known in some circles as Mr. Cedar, just because I'm the one that wasn't afraid of the camera. I didn't take two steps back, so any video stuff that's been shot recently is my ugly mug. Uh, some of the uh, topics we're going to talk, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about who the association is, and then there are three subject matters, sort of six subject matters that uh, Jim wanted me to address. Everybody hear me all right? Okay. Um, First off, Western Red Cedar Lumber Association is a nonprofit trade association established, believe it or not, in 1954 in Seattle, Washington. Um, we are a membership organization. Most of the Western Red Cedar manufacturers support our activities. We also have uh, secondary manufacturers, remanufacturers, tertiary manufacturers. We have certified cedar distributors. Uh, one of Dunn's suppliers, Hall Forest Products, is a certified cedar distributor. Uh, and they are here today, represented here today as well. Uh, we have premium retail affiliates. Dunn Lumber is one. Very fine company, fine, fine stores. I always say about Dunn, you can, you can walk into their store, you can eat off the floor. Really great. And knowledgeable, sto- knowledgeable folks, too. We are the informational resource for Western Red Cedar. We are the experts. We provide the technical information, literature, uh, and technical advice. I interact with architects all the time. On the tables over here, we do have copies of our publications that include how to specify Western Red Cedar. I think the most important thing we publish, how to install Western Red Cedar siding, how to finish Western Red Cedar siding and trim and decking. And that's going to be a subject uh, that's going to be covered today. Uh, the designer's handbook, which ha- has the design values for Western Red Cedar in it, in case you're building uh, outdoor pergolas or you're using cedar in a structural application, uh, those values are there. And then we also have a, have a little publication called Go Green, which has life cycle comparison studies comparing Western Red Cedar decking to virgin vinyl and plastic composite. We didn't make this up. This is, these are results of scientific studies. And when it comes to uh, the environmental footprint of Western Red Cedar decking versus plastic composite and vinyl, we slay the dragon. So if you've got a customer that's concerned about the environment and they're looking at a deck, this would be something that you could provide this information to them. We also have comparison studies comparing Western Red Cedar siding to vinyl, to, uh, to brick, and to fiber cement. And the, the results of that are also in, contained in that. We don't win quite as dramatically in siding because there's an assumption with siding that it's going to need to be refinished during its life cycle, and that does have an impact on its, uh, on its environmental footprint. First topic that, uh, oh, by the way, for easy access, great piece of reference for you, simple, realcedar.com is our website. And that's on all back of all the literature. I do have some business cards here if you need them. 
Uh, the only Mac accurate information on my business card is my name, my phone number, my email address and our email address because I have moved from Mill Creek and I now reside on Whidbey Island permanently. First thing that Jim wanted me to address was uh, extractive bleeding or tannin bleed as we know it, as we know it, and the advantage of stainless steel fasteners. First off, stainless steel is the best fastener to use with Western Red Cedar. A fastener manufacturer did a, uh, a cost comparison study many, many years ago of the cost of using stainless steel 304 grade uh, to install half, half by six bevel versus double hot dip galvanized. The increased cost of using 304 grade stainless over double hot dip galvanized was $40.67 per thousand square feet of siding. That's nothing. Um, average size, uh, amount of siding on an average, even a custom home is 5,000 square feet, right? $200. Yes, stainless steel costs more. The only fasteners we recommend with Western Red Cedar are stainless steel, tensile strengthened aluminum, or double hot dip galvanized meeting ASTM 153A, and we only recommend the use of that fastener if the siding or the trim is pre-primed and going to be top coated with either solid stain or paint. If you're using a bleaching oil, a clear stain or a semi-transparent stain, we heartily recommend the use of stainless steel. If your project is on salt water, you should be using marine grade, which is 316. When it comes to extractive bleeding, it's something that occurs occasionally, doesn't occur a lot. Um, and what it is is the, the preservatives in cedar are called tannins or extractives. They're water soluble. So if, there's a, if there is an extractive bleed problem, it means there's moisture present. It's coming from somewhere. Either the wood, either the wood wasn't properly stored on the job site and it absorbed moisture in storage, or it wasn't properly dried to begin with. So extractive bleeding is a natural occurrence. It isn't the end of the world and it's relatively easy to deal with. You can wash it off if you get to it soon enough. If it's inset, if the tannin stains have been there for some time, then you might need to use a cleaner that contains oxalic acid to remove it. Don't ever think of oxalic acid as something that's gonna help you with mold or mildew. The only way you remove mold or mildew is you kill it using a mild bleach solution and we prefer oxygen bleach over chlorine because it's less harmful to the surface of the wood and it's less harmful to surrounding plants if you're dealing with an existing structure. The other thing that Jim wanted me to talk about was, was uh, unfinished cedar and the rumored uh, interaction between the water-soluble extractives in western red cedar and house wrap, house wrap products like Tyvek drain wrap. Full disclosure, our association has an agreement with DuPont they pay us money, and the Tyvek drain wrap is the only product that we mention by name when it comes to house wrap products. It's not an exclusive recommendation. If you call me and you say, can I use blank? I will respond by saying, is it breathable or gas permeable? If the answer is yes, then I, then I respond by saying, then it meets our recommendations. We're talking about house wrap products or building paper products that are breathable or gas permeable, and that's what should be used under Western Red Cedar.
our recommendations for installing siding, I like to say it, they're kind of like the Ten Commandments. And if you want to, if, if you want to go to heaven, if you believe in God, uh, and you want to go to heaven, you can't just pick the five of the Ten Commandments that you like and obey those and disobey the others. So our recommendations for installing cedar siding are like the Ten Commandments. It's a package deal. So you can use the right nail but not pre-finish the wood and you're not going to get the best results. So you have, to, you have to have dry material acclimatized to local humidity conditions, right nail, right place, pre-primed or pre-stained on all six sides, right length of nail to get the best results. So our, our recommendations are, uh, as I said, they're a package deal, package deal for, for an installation. You can't just pick three of them and hope to get the best results. So again, dry, climatized to local humidity conditions, properly stored on the job site, right fastener, right place over a breathable building paper, pre-finished on all six sides. That means pre-stained or pre-primed on all six sides. And we're big proponents of factory finishing and, and certainly uh, your host today can uh, supply material uh, in that form. The real green story behind cedar. Well, first off, um, one, of the, one of the things to be aware of is most of the cedar that you buy, or, or a large percentage of what you buy, um, comes from British Columbia. Some of the decking that you buy uh, could be coming out of Idaho, but the large volume of cedar that's produced by sawmills in western Washington is 5 eighths fencing. There are about seven, seven, seven or eight sawmills in, in Washington State and Northern Oregon, and I'm only aware of two of them that process anything other than 5 eighths fencing. So that means that wood coming from Washington State isn't trim boards, it isn't decking, it isn't timbers, it isn't pattern stock, it isn't siding. So most of the stuff comes from British Columbia. A fair bit comes out of Idaho, eastern, uh, eastern Washington, Panhandle of Idaho, western Montana, and that would be nominal one-inch boards, uh, some five-quarter boards, five-quarter radius edge decking, and some two-inch stock. When you're talking about clear pattern stock, clear bevel siding, all the rest of that, the big timbers, that all comes out of BC. The forests in British Columbia are owned, 95% of them are owned by the provincial government, and the forests are managed under contracts, or what are called licenses, or tree farm licenses, contracts with the Minister of Forests. So timber companies that usually have sawmills, remanufacturing plants, um, dry kilns, have contracts or licenses with the Minister of Forests to manage large tracts of land. And they manage them for free. What they get for managing them for free is they get the rights to the sustainable harvest from those lands. Uh, one, of our, one of our member mills happens to be the largest cedar manufacturer in the world, has, I think it's eight TFLs on, or licenses on Vancouver Island. And these, I mean, when we're talking about, uh, you know, a, a section of land, we're not talking 500 acres. We're talking 25,000 acres, 50,000 acres, 75,000 acres. And so they're managing this um, for free, and that guarantees them a source of raw material to run through the sawmills. 80, over 85% of the timberlands in British Columbia are third-party certified by independent agencies, SFI, CSA, and FSC. 
FSC Forest Stewardship, Forward, Forest Stewardship Council is probably the best known. It's the one that most architects will all, uh, usually cite when they're trying to specify FSC certified products, but it's the, most, it's, it's the most difficult to obtain because only about 5 million acres of the 135 million acres of timberland in British Columbia are FSC certified. And the FSC certification process is a chain of custody certification process, which means you have to have an FSC certified forest, you have to have an FSC, FSC certified manufacturing facility, you have to have an FSC certified uh, chain of custody distributor and retailer to get the FSC certified product onto the job site. And each one of those people pays FSC a fee. Because there are 135 million acres of timberland in BC and only 5 million of that is FSC certified, and by the way, of, of that five million, uh, very little of it has cedar growing on it. So getting a cedar product that's de designated as FSC certified is a, an enormous challenge, and it will cost between seven and 15% more if, it, if it's available. The other two certification agencies are SFI, Sustainable Forestry Initiative, came out of industry many, many years ago, is, um, is now completely independent and has been for over 10 years. They have one <coughs> forest management system or certification system for North America. And the third one is Canadian Standards Association, CSA, uh, for some of the, the operators in Canada. Those two each are, have under uh, management certification about 50% each. It's a little heavier to SFI than to CSA. But rest assured, the forests are being responsibly managed and they've got the, the certification agencies testifying to the fact that they are. So I'm not, and I'm gonna cover some of the things that were submitted uh, to, to Jim uh, when you signed up for this. And first one was uh, different grades, colors, lifespan, and availability. That's a broad subject. First off, when it comes to color, during the manufacturing and evaluation or grading process, color is not a consideration. You get a wide range of color naturally occurring in western red cedar in its heartwood, especially in the clear grades, from, from almost chocolate brown, almost walnut colored, all the way through straw colored heartwood. It's important to recognize that western red cedar is the most stable softwood species available and has the lowest sapwood content of species of wood that are oftentimes thrown into the same group. So you have California redwood, you have incense cedar, you have Port Orford cedar, you have Alaskan yellow cedar, you have uh, aromatic cedar, and you have western red. Western red cedar, the tree, only has three quarters of an inch of sapwood on average on the outside. California redwood, four inches. Incense cedar, four inches. Alaskan yellow and Port Orford, it's kind of hard to tell because the sapwood and the heartwood are so close in color. For your information, Alaskan yellow cedar and Port Orford cedar are actually in the Chamisoparis family. They are cypresses. Incense cedar is a libocedrus, it's a false cedar. Aromatic cedar is a juniper. I think it's a terrible thing to do because what's what's a good thing that you get from a juniper tree? Juniper berries. What do you use juniper berries for? Flavored gin. <laughs> so wide range of color naturally occurring. 
Uh, I don't know of any circuit. There was a circuit at the very bottom of the market when things were just awful. There was one project down in the wine, the wine country in Northern California, and they wanted all chocolate. And because the economy was so bad, there was a manufacturer who was willing to pull rough green clears and sort the chocolate. It was like 90,000 board feet, and it took him six months. And, and he got paid for it. But color sorts are not normal. If you've got a client or an architect that wants all one color, it's going to be very, 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 very difficult to source. So it's important to recognize that. Wide range of grades available in Western Red Cedar. Wide range of grades. I mean, you've got broad categories. You have the clear grades and you have the tight knot grades. Clear bevel siding, there are four clear grades or five? five four. Clear VG heart, A clear, B clear, clear tex or clear rustic, and C. C is a, C is a huge cutout grade. You'll, you'll lose about three quarters of it if, you're having, if you happen to source C clear. Wide range of color, wide range of grades. So same holds true with pattern stock, tongue and groove and shiplap in the clears. Clear heart, A, B are the, are the grades. And then in dimension lumber, you'll have, um, and finish, you'll have clear heart, A, B, C, and D available. And um, I know that, that done in their, most of their, the clear dimension that the stock is a, is a, I think they market it as a D and better, but it's a very high end, if I recall correctly. How's my memory? Yeah, I think we're trying to buy C. Right, right, right. So wide range of, of quality. Uh, and in, in the noughties, um, the grades in the grade rule book, and I've got copies of them in the car. I didn't bother to bring them in. But um, naughty grades, select naughty and quality naughty if it's coming from a coastal mill. Select naughty is 100% tight knot. All knots must be sound and tight and intergrown. If there's any quality knotty included in the shipment, uh, it does permit the occasional soft knot, black ring knot, and it does permit cutouts in pieces 12 and longer. Must be at least three feet from the end. Some manufacturers in Idaho grade boards to a three common and better standard. I'm not trying to confuse you here. I just, this is what's in the marketplace and this is what's available. So in some of the mills in Idaho grade to a three common and better, which is a pine board rule because they use WWPA rules and they don't have grades for naughty cedar in the WWPA. There is, everybody uses the term, I'm not stupid and neither are any of you, there is no such thing as STK. What everybody thinks STK is is select naughty. But most people say select tight knot or sound tight knot. If it's 200 bucks a thousand cheaper, it probably means some tight knots, see-through knot, or my favorite, South Texas knot. <laughs> so it's important, you know, again, you've got a wonderful supplier here who's your host. Uh, they carry a great inventory, and, and I know most of the, uh, the, the mills that, that, whose wood they stock. Uh, but it's important for you to understand that if, if your client wants something cheaper, it's not going to meet their expectations. 
As far as longevity, I guess the best thing that I can say is um, Dr. John C. McLaughlin's house, and this is really easy for me to remember um, because it was built 100 years before I was born. It's a historical structure in Portland, Oregon. There is a McLaughlin Boulevard in Portland, Oregon, if anybody's been there. Um, and the house is 166 and a half years old because I'm 66 and a half, almost 67. So as far as longevity is concerned, uh, properly installed, properly maintained, you're looking at great longevity. I think the next thing I'll get to is, is uh, would like to, the other, next question is, would like to learn more about cedar siding, primed versus raw, and different grades. Well, I've covered the grades. We heartily recommend that cedar siding be pre-stained or pre-primed on all six sides prior to installation. If it's a solid body finish, so if it's, a, if it's, if it's primer and paint or primer and solid stain, getting the primer on those field cuts is extremely important because the end grain of cedar is the most porous part of the wood. The end grain will absorb up to 250% more moisture than the other surfaces. If you don't prime the end cuts, that's where the coating system is going to fail first. We have samples of cedar siding at the Forest Products Testing Lab in Madison, Wisconsin on the test fence run for, for the Forest Service by the United States Department of Agriculture, and we have several different samples of cedar siding on it. The first one I'll tell you about is that it's a sample of cedar siding that was pre-primed on all six sides, put in the frame, top coated with two top coats of 100% acrylic latex paint, never been coated again, and it's been on the test fence for over 23 years. It's no visible sign of degradation. There are other samples where they were put on the, in the frame raw and left to weather for three months, one for six months, one for nine months, and one for a year. And then it was primed and two top coats were applied. But because it's already in the frame, they couldn't get the primer on the ends. The longer it was exposed to the weather, the sooner it failed, the coating failed, and it failed from the ends in. So the two things that occurred to that siding while it was exposed to the weather is it, it, it photodegraded. The surface cells sunburned. And once the surface cells sun, if you ever get sunburn on your arm, you, your, your skin's gonna flake. And think of the, think of the surface of the wood as ha being kind of like the flaking skin that you get on your arm after you get a sunburn. The, the film formers have not, don't have much to stick to. So the longer it's exposed to the weather, the mo more photodegradation has occurred and the less likely is gonna be the case that you're gonna have a success, you're gonna have successful adhesion with a film forming coating system. That's why pre-priming is so very, very important. And again, with film forming finishes, primer and solid stain, primer and paint, factory applied, in many cases, coating warranties are available with those factory applied finishes. They are provided by the coating company. So that would, I mean, that would include uh, Cabot, Sherwin-Williams, uh, Olympic, to name three, um, that I know that do that. And the, the coating warranties are, I believe, we have to double check this, but I believe on a two coat system, primer and solid stain or primer and paint, uh, it's a 15 year warranty. Three coat system, primer and two, to two top coats is either 25 or 30. Each, each company's warranty is slightly different, 
But again, the point is that that's the best way to go. And this year has been unusual, but normally in Seattle, Washington, or anywhere else in North America, to be blunt about it, there's six months out of the year where you cannot apply a finish to wood in the field anyway. It's too cold, too wet, too hot, too dry. All of those Im impede the ability to, to apply a finish. So we're big proponents of factory finishing. Oh, this is a great one. Um, the question was info on cedar decking, particularly how to keep it looking nice over the long term with minimal effort. That's the double-edged sword. Our number one recommendation for a low-maintenance cedar deck is to install it and apply nothing. Make sure that you leave gaps between the edges of the boards to allow for debris to fall through. Let the deck turn gray. Keep the mold and mildew growth under control with washing with a mild oxygen bleach as needed. That's your lowest maintenance option. And that's no more maintenance than any composite deck. You will probably have to wash the cedar deck less often than a composite deck with the and the embossed surface because the embossed surface is going to accumulate more dirt, which is going to be a, a very thin planter box, if you will, for mold and mildew. So composites have a tendency to grow more mold and mildew. You get the lowest maintenance, op lowest maintenance option is to let it go gray. The highest maintenance option is to try and maintain that original color. Just, it's just the facts. Um, transparent stains, if you're gonna use a transparent stain, it should contain ultraviolet filters. It should contain mildicides and fungicides. But just because a stain contains a mildicide or a fungicide doesn't mean that it's going to kill any mold or mildew that's on the deck surface. All it does is help retard the future growth of mold and mildew. So if you lay a deck, you lay it raw, and the homeowner wants it to be stained, you should wash it with a mild oxygen bleach solution before applying a solvent-borne oil-based stain. We would not recommend the use of latex stains because they form a film. You put a film former on a flat surface, it's gonna flake, guaranteed, which means when it comes to time to restain it, somebody's gonna be sanding. Tinted stains will last a little longer than transparent ones, but you can't you can develop wear marks where you walk with the pigment because the pigment kind of sits on the surface. You had a question, sir? Related to your last topic, can you differentiate the um, application of the finish versus between a, a kiln-dried siding, like you were describing, and a raw green decking? Now you said, uh, the longer it sat, the worse it was because of the uh, sun's effect. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's the stains that, recommend four to six weeks curing time before you attempt to apply it. Yeah, and the challenge is, is that we we recommend that you not let raw cedar sit for more than two weeks without applying a finish if a finish is going to be applied. And that's the challenge with green decking, is that if you want to apply a stain, you have to allow it to dry before it's going to be able to absorb the stain. I mean, this is, again, this is the, you know, the catch-22, is that you have to allow it to dry before you can apply a stain. Uh, you know, the, my first suggestion to anybody with a, with a, um, 
with a client who, who wants a cedar deck is, yes, you can try and maintain the color, but you're gonna be, it needs to be restained annually to have any chance of, of maintaining that color. Now, granted, the design, what, what direction it faces, how wide the overhangs are, uh, also impact how long the finish lasts. But most decks, most decks are, you know, you're only gonna have 18 inch overhang, uh, maybe two feet, not much more than that. So, th I mean, that's a challenge. And you can't, like I said, you can't apply a penetrating stain to green wood, won't absorb it. So you have to, for, when it comes to decking, if you want to apply a stain, you have to allow the decking to dry or purchase dry material to begin with. Does that answer your question? Kind of? What are the, what are the, what are the, well, uh, I know that uh, there's one product line, well, several actually, the one I'm, I remember seeing happened to be on the back of a CWF UV can and it said, uh, for, if you're using this on cedar or redwood, uh, let the deck weather for six months to a year before using our product. It's gonna, it's gonna be completely grayed out in six months, which means if you wanna, if you wanna get it back to the original color, you're gonna to have to use a, re a restorative cleaner that's gonna remove the grade fiber to get it back to the original. So uh, no, we, dis we disagree with that. It, a stain should be applied as soon as the wood will absorb it. Okay? So, it, so there is no such thing as minimal effort when it comes to maintaining the color, maintaining the original. Yes, sir? You use the term dry. What does that translate in moisture? 20% or less. 20% or less. Manufacturers that, that's a great question. Manufacturers that produce dry products. So let's, let's talk about dry clears are dried to between 12 and 15% moisture at the time of manufacture. Dry knotty, so like dry knotty bevel siding, as an example, is dried to between 15 and, 7, 15 and 19%. They don't dry it as dry as they, as they do. They, there was a manufacturer for years uh, in this area that did produce dry knotty bevel at 12%. And they were the only ones that ever did it. Um, it happened to be Skookum Lumber, um, no longer around, unfortunately. Um, it's one of those mills that now only makes fencing. But they were able to produce a product dried to 12% because they resawed the product in green form. So they created the, they didn't, they didn't start, they didn't dry it in a, a rectangular piece. They actually resawed it into bevel, put the two pieces back together, stickered it, stuck it in the kiln. So they were able, because they'd already resawed it, they were able to get it down to 12% moisture on average. Um, but they also had tremendous trim loss because the wood was thinner, it had already been resawed, so they had tr excess, excessive trim loss because of the end checking that occurred during the drying process. Everybody else, knotty cedar, dry knotty cedar, 15 to 19%. And coating companies, factory finishers, won't apply a finish to wood that's over 20. Okay? This is one that came in. I've never had this question before. And I've been doing this since the end of 1995. How do you remove the marks from the lumber crayons that are used at the mill level? <laughs> never had it. Uh, and I actually called one of our two largest manufacturers to ask them the question. They don't use crayons anymore. It's really chalk. And you should be able to wipe it off. Should, should be able to wipe it off. 
How do you maintain and preserve cedar for rugged outdoor conditions, building rooftop raised beds and cold frames? Again, cold frames, I would, I would uh, I'm assuming we're talking about planter, plant, raised planter beds and that sort of thing. Uh, I would, I would apply some sort of water preservative to the inside of, of, a, of a raised planter bed or a planter bed, uh, and even consider putting a liner to line, to line it. Again, remembering that the extractives in cedar are water soluble. So providing water repellency, and that would apply to a post application as well when you've got post, a post in the ground. If you can get some, some sort of a water repellent on the part of the post that's in the ground uh, before it's installed, that will extend the service life uh, of that particular application. So again, maintaining it, if they don't want gray, then you're gonna have to restain. And if pigmented or tinted stains um, last longer than transparent ones. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll share with you a personal story. Uh, my wife and I rebuild our beach house uh, on Whidbey, and yes, it's got cedar on it. Uh, two knots, I think. <laughs> Maybe three. Um, but it was all factory stained. I, I chose uh, a, a solvent-borne oil-based product, semi-transparent, and for the siding and the trim, we elected to have two applications. I had, I had the factory finisher run it through twice. And did I lose some, some transparency? You bet. But I also extended the service life of that stain probably to six or seven years um, because, because of the two coat application. Semi-transparent stains that are applied and then restained and then restained, eventually a semi-transparent stain that's applied and then reapplied and reapplied, eventually it's going to take on the appearance of a solid body stain because eventually the pigments are going to overlap one another and it's eventually gonna look like a solid, a solid product. The beauty is, I mean, if somebody wants to go to the trouble, you can strip it off and start over. If it's text-faced wood, you obviously can't sand it without altering the, uh, the texture of the surface, but you can strip off existing finishes. Stains and finishes, I think I've covered off. Um, I get this question a lot. What is the best clear coat for cedar? There is no best clear coat. We recommend solvent-borne oil-based stains where they're available. They are available here. If you go with a transparent stain, it should have ultraviolet filters, which you get by adding transoxides to the product. But you don't, get the, you don't get long service life out of a transparent stain, period. The more transparent stain, the shorter, the more transparent the stain, the shorter the service life. Just a fact. Uh, transparent stains are, are made by a wide variety of, of manufacturers. Uh, TWP, Cabot, Olympic. Who else do you carry? Penafin. Uh, yeah, Stickens. Um, the SRD. Probably, probably, yeah, okay. Wide, wide range of manufacturers, but again, uh, to extend, lo to increase longevity, adding a little pigment will help, will help the finish perform add longer. Um, sustainability of cedar products. Are we planting more cedar trees, especially at the rate we are harvesting them? Well, I explained to you the, the forest certi certification uh, in British Columbia. It's important, and I didn't cover this, it's important to know that on the coast, coast of Washington, coast of British Columbia, 
southern southeast coast of Alaska, cedar, western red cedar is an incidental species in the forest. It, on Vancouver Island, it only accounts for approximately 20% of the, of the stand on Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island is 60% Pacific Coast hemlock, approximately 20% Douglas fir, 20% western red cedar. And the reason I throw that at you is because for a forest manager to justify the harvest, even though cedar's the most valuable species of those three in the coastal forest, he's gotta have a market for the hemlock. Otherwise, because it's 60% of what's in the lot gonna be in the pile. So um, they replant in kind in British Columbia. A forest manager with a cut, who just completed a cut block. And by the way, the average size of a cut block today in BC is about 30 hectares, which is approximately 75 acres. The day of the, of the enormous 10,000 acre clear cut has gone the way of the dodo and it's been long gone. Uh, but average cut block today is maybe 75 acres. And they, if, if they take 60% hemlock, 20% dug fir, and 20% western red cedar from that area when they harvest it, they replant in exactly the same proportion. And they don't plant the hemlock there and the fir there and the cedar there because that's not the way they naturally grew. Fir and hemlock reach for the sun, cedar thrives in the shade. So they'll replant in an intermixed um, assortment but they do still have to have areas with sunlight for the hemlock and the fir to flourish. So the other thing they're doing in the, in the coastal forest is they've changed, uh, they've changed some of the, the management and harvesting techniques. They're doing a lot more helicopter logging uh, in steep slope areas. And you say, well, helicopters burn a lot of fuel. They do, but you don't have to build the roads to get to the steep slope areas. And if you build, the, the forest manager is responsible for paying for building the road, which is a million dollars a mile to build a logging road in BC. And if it's, steep, if it's a steep slope area, and I did, believe it or not, work on a logging crew one summer in West Yellowstone, Montana, where we were dealing with lodgepole pine. <laughs> and, and we were high lead logging, which meant that we were dragging the logs up the hill. Well, you drag the log up the hill and you're disturbing the soil and the underbrush, you're creating furrows which can cause erosion. Same thing is true uh, with larger, larger lo lo logging operations hauling out bigger logs. If you drag the logs up or down the hill, you're disturbing the soil and that can cause erosion. So by helicopter logging it, by dropping the loggers in from a helicopter, having them fell the trees, limb the trees, and lift the trees straight up, take it to a water landing, drop it and build log rafts, you're not disturbing the soil. And therefore you're helping um, helping re retard possible erosion. The other thing they're doing is called variable retention. And in variable retention, they're leaving swaths of trees or clumps of trees throughout the site to provide habitat for wildlife uh, and corridors for wildlife as well. So, I mean, I've got an image of one very steep slope operation where it's kind of a delta shape, but near the bottom they've left corridors of, of trees that might be you know, three or four trees deep uh, with different passageways uh, in it so that it helps prevent erosion. And of course the great news is because they leave those trees, they replant immediately, 
So when it comes time to come back to that area and reharvest it, when your grandchildren or great-grandchildren will be wandering the face of the earth, uh, you know, 100, 125, 150 years from now, uh, the news, the great news is, is that the trees they plant will be 100 or 125 years old, but the trees that they left will be 100 or 125 years older. So, oh, mill glaze, the proverbial mill glaze. Um, again, a um, urban legend, I guess. Um, mill glaze is perceived to be that when you plane wood, especially when you plane wood, that the spinning of the planer knives heats up the resin in the wood, liquefying it and leaving it as a glaze on the surface of the wood. Well, number one, the Forest Products Testing Lab has attempted to replicate mill glaze on a wide variety of wood species and has never been able to do so. Secondly, Western red cedar contains no pitch or resin, so there isn't any pitch or resin that could possibly be liquefied by the planing process. However, especially with vertical grain wood, you can occasionally get what's called planer crush, which is with vertical grain wood, the, 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 the cells, which look like soda straws, bundled, are sitting up. And if the planer knives are a little dull, those, the, those surface cells may have folded over a bit, and that's planer crush, and that, and that can impede uh, coating penetration and or adhesion. So when somebody runs into that, that's probably what they're wrestling with, but there is no such thing as mill glaze. Okay. I have one question based on observation with a single a cedar uh, shingle siding, mm -hmm. uh, we get different performance in Seattle versus uh, performance on the coast. Mm -hmm. On the coast, it weathers beautifully. Here, people don't want, they want that gray weather look. It just doesn't happen. It, all the tannins leach out. You, you drive around, you see all these houses that are just black. Okay, um, black is mold. Bl black is mold. Black is mold? Yep. Tannins or tobacco juice brown. Okay. You ever pick up a grasshopper when you were a kid? I'm not sure whether he spit in my hand or did something else, but, but it's, it's like brown tobacco juice. That's what the extractives in cedar look like. So if somebody wants the gray look in Seattle, um, my recommendation would be pre-stained with a bleaching oil or a weathering stain or a combination of the two. And that certainly, they certainly can source that for you. That, that would be the recommendation for that. I was very heavily involved in a project outside of Portland, Oregon, um, commercial project, and by the way, cedar is being used commercially uh, all over the world. I think you'd be amazed at some of the pro projects worldwide where it's being used, but this was a high school in Sandy, Oregon, and uh, I actually worked with the ARC. I consulted with them for three years on this thing, and uh, his very first question to me was, we want to use cedar, we want to do the Timberline, the, it's kind of on its way up to Timberline Lodge, so they want the Timberline Lodge feel, so we want to use cedar, but we want low maintenance. My first question back to the architect was, do you like gray? <laughs> and he said, I can make that work. So after three years and 150 exchanges via email and phones and eight visits to his office, uh, they specified Western Red Cedar. They used a half a million dollars worth of it on the project. And they had it pre-stained with a bleaching oil. And he called me in November uh, a year ago because that's right after the school had opened. And he said, you know, Paul, he said, I was still skeptical 
about the bleaching oil because even though it was it went up in uh, May June, um, I could still see the color variation. But he said, you know what? He said I went out in late October and it had rained twice, and he said the transformation was astonishing. He said it it went all gray, and I guess they must be pleased with the result because they're now doing another school in Eugene, School District 4J, Howard Elementary, and they're doing exactly the same thing. Same grade, same finish. So that, that would be my recommendation. Is that probably the lowest maintenance option out there? It, I, it, it, it is, uh, it, and I think it's a, it's a better option than just letting it turn gray, because again, like you say, that you can get extractive bleeding that'll come to the surface. The advantage of the bleaching oil is it's gonna provide some water repellency and it's gonna give you the gray look all at once. Other questions, please. Yes, sir. Best type of caulking to use on Western Red Cedar? We recommend that you not use pure silicon and that you don't use clear. Pure silicon doesn't work well with cedar and completely transparent caulk, the UV rays of the sun are gonna go right through it and you're gonna lose adhesion. Can cedar be used to build docks out of too or will it build what? Can cedar be used to build docks on water? It can be. Can it? Yeah, they actually, um, in, um, we do a trade show in, in Toronto and it's called Cottage Life and Ontarians, um, uh, they'll, they'll live in a, a 700 square foot townhouse in, in you know, a suburb of Toronto, and then they'll have a, quote, cottage, unquote, <laughs> two and a half to four hours north. And they're all on lakes. It's called cottage country up uh, in the Muskoka Lakes area. And, uh, and there are a fair amount of cedar dock, docks that are uh, they're aluminum with, with cedar walkways. It's been my experience working with cedar for 30 years now that it's not the water that hurts it, it's the sunlight that hurts it. The sunlight tends to destroy cedar faster without a stain or a, a coating on it than water does. Water doesn't seem to hurt it that bad. Well, and, and there's, there's a relatively easy explanation for that and it has to do with the cell structure. The cell structure, um, a, a typical growth ring of Douglas fir, as an example, is gonna have between five and seven cell layers of what's called early wood or spring wood, and three or four cell layers of what's called late wood or summer wood. And an early wood cell is gonna have a thin cell wall and a big hollow. And then the late wood, which grows, you know, starting about mid-July in the case of Douglas fir, uh, the cell walls are much thicker. Western red cedar has, I've, I've seen uh, magnification, 150 time magnification of cedar growth rings where I could count 17, 18, 19 cells of early wood and only three cell layers of late wood. So what that means is, is that, this is why it's so lightweight, is because it's dominated by cells that are, have very thin cell walls. So it's, the cellulose content of Western Red Cedars is lower than the cellulose content of Douglas fir or hemlock. Douglas fir uh, is 67 point something cellulose. Cedar is 60.2. So this is, this is a, 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 a scientific explanation for why it's so lightweight. But that, but that certainly would contribute to 
um, it being more, more affected by sunlight. I'm done. I think you've got some raffle items to do. Thank you. Thank you. This was a presentation of Dunlumber in Seattle. For more content or if we can help you with your next project, please visit us online at dunlumber.com.